Hello, and welcome to the 2021 December Fellows Choice Podcast, where we will outline the highlights of the current issue of the International Journal of Gynaecological Cancer. I'm Emma Allenson, a Gynaecological Oncology Fellow with the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists. And I am Cecilia Arin from the British Hospital of Buenos Aires, Argentina. To begin, the main article of the November issue is a review and meta-analysis by Dr. Chae Kim, where they analyzed outcomes of patients with early-stage endometrial carcinoma and atypical endometrial hyperplasia with fertility preservation management, comparing progestin and metformin versus progestin alone. In total, 621 women from six studies were included. 38% of the patients received combined therapy and 61% received progestin alone. Relapse rates were lower for progestin and metformin than for progestin therapy alone with a P of 0.03. The remission rates, pregnancy rate and leap birth rates were similar in both groups. In this next article, Dr. Pommel and colleagues present the Kylov study, a prospective non-randomized phase two study that aims to demonstrate the feasibility of performing interval debulking surgery via laparoscopy for chemosensitive patients with advanced ovarian cancer. The secondary objectives were to evaluate operative and post-operative outcomes, oncological safety, including overall survival and port site metastases, and quality of life. From August 2013 to May 2016, 44 women were enrolled in the trial in 10 centres in France. Of these, 41 patients were eligible for cytoreductive surgery, 9 patients were managed by laparotomy based on the surgeon's decision, and 32 patients were managed by laparoscopy. Among these, 32, successful cytoreductive laparoscopy was achieved in 29 or 91% of patients, and 3 or 9.4% of patients were converted to laparotomy. Two patients with successful cytoreductive laparoscopy developed intraoperative complications, one had a diaphragmatic hernia and one had bradycardia. Six patients experienced early postoperative complications, but there were no grade three to four complications. The proportion of patients without progression at 12 months was 87.5%. No port site metastases were observed in the cytoreductive laparoscopy group. This study confirms the technical feasibility of the laparoscopic approach in interval ovarian debulking surgery for patients with a favorable response to chemotherapy. The oncological safety of laparoscopic ovarian debulking surgery has so far not been demonstrated. Nicole Consil and colleagues presents an European Society of Gynecology Oncology statement where they outline the process and results of developing quality indicators for the surgical treatment of endometrial carcinoma. After the nomination of an international development group, Potential quality indicators were identified and evaluated by both clinicians and patients. Ultimately, 29 structural process and outcomes indicators were defined, including those related to the general structure of health services, preoperative investigations and preoperative care, postoperative care, molecular markers, adjuvant therapy, documentation and morbidity and mortality conferences. The quality indicators can be used as a scoring system as a component of ESCO accreditation of centers providing endometrial cancer surgery. The next study is titled Ascites Volume at the Time of Primary Debulking and Overall Survival of Patients with Advanced Stage Epithelial Ovarian Cancer. 
In this large retrospective cohort drawn from the National Cancer Database, Nasiudis and colleagues examine the impact of malignant ascites in 2,493 women diagnosed with stage 3 and 4 epithelial ovarian cancer between 2010 and 2015. Ascites was classified as none, low volume, which was less than 980 ml, or high volume, 980 ml or more. The authors demonstrate that the present presence and volume of malignant ascites in these patients is associated with a higher likelihood of residual macroscopic disease and a worse overall survival. Even in the scenario where gross macroscopic resection was achieved, the presence of malignant ascites was associated with worse overall survival. Presence and volume of ascites when compared to no ascites was associated with a prolonged hospital stay. The authors conclude that the presence of ascites may reflect a more aggressive biological behaviour of malignancy, and consideration in these patients should be given to neoadjuvant chemotherapy, novel treatment options such as HIPEC, and further research including on the immunological and tumorigenic properties of ascites. Dr. Viveros from the National Cancer Institute in Colombia published an article entitled Incidence of Metastasis in Circumflect Iliac Nose in Patients with Cervical Cancer, a Systematic Review. The objective of this systematic review was to assess the incidence of metastasis in the circumflect iliac nose in patients with cervical cancer. The inclusion criteria were diagnosis of cervical cancer, FIGO 2009 stages 1A to 2B, squamous cell carcinoma, adenocarcinoma or adenosquamous carcinoma, and primary surgery included pelvic lymph node dissection. The positive lymph node rates for the entire population and circumflex iliac node involvement were 26% and 3% respectively. Isolated metastases were reported for 904 patients in three studies, and in one patient nodal spread was detected, 0.11%. The author's conclusion was that the rate of isolated metastases in circumflex iliac node is small an excision of the lens node as part of routine lymphadenectomy should be avoided. Dr. Kim and colleagues from the University of Toronto authored the next article entitled Implementation of a Restrictive Opioid Prescription Protocol After Minimally Invasive Gynecologic Oncology Surgery. The objective was to evaluate the impact of a restrictive opioid prescription protocol on the median morphine milligram equivalence prescribed and pain control in patients undergoing minimally invasive surgery. A total of 101 women in the post-intervention cohort were compared with 92 consecutive pre-intervention controls. Following protocol implementation, median morphine milligram equivalents prescribed decreased from 50, with a range of 9 to 100, to 25, with a range of 8 to 75, and this was significant. In the post-intervention cohort, 75% or 76 out of the 101 women used 10 median morphine milligram equivalents or less, and 55 patients or 54% used 0 median morphine milligram equivalents. The authors conclude that the implementation of a restrictive opioid prescription protocol led to a significant reduction in opioid use after minimally invasive gynecologic oncology surgery, with over 50% of patients requiring no opioids postoperatively. Gilly and colleagues conducted a research called Ultrastaging of Negative Pelvic Lymph Node in Patients with Low or Intermediate Risk Endometrial, endometrial Cancer Who Develop Non-Vaginal Recurrences. Records of all patients with endometrial cancer surgically managed at the Mayo Clinic before Sentinel Lymph Node Implementation between 1999 and 2008 were reviewed. 
it identified all patients with endometrioid low risk or intermediate risk endometrial cancer at definitive pathology after pelvic and paraortic lymph node assessment. All pelvic lymph nodes of patients with non-vaginal recurrence underwent ultrastaging. The 5-year non-vaginal recurrence rate was 4.7% in low and intermediate risk endometrial cancer. Pelvic lymph node of patients with non-vaginal recurrence were confirmed negative at ultrastaging. Myometrial invasion and lymphovascular space invasion are associated with non-vaginal recurrences. Next up is the Athena trial protocol from Bradley Monk and colleagues at Arizona Oncology. Athena is an international randomized double-blind phase 3 trial consisting of two independent comparisons called Athena Mono and Athena Combo in patients with newly diagnosed platinum-sensitive ovarian cancer. Patients are randomized 4 to 4 to 1 to 1 to the following Oral Rucaparib and Intravenous Nivolumab arm A Oral Rucaparib and Intravenous Placebo arm B Oral Placebo and Intravenous Nivolumab arm C and oral placebo and intravenous placebo arm D. The starting dose of recaparib is 600mg orally twice a day and nivolumab is 480mg intravenously every four weeks. Athena Mono compares arm B with arm D to evaluate recaparib monotherapy versus placebo and Athena Combo evaluates arm A versus arm B to investigate the effects of recaparib and nivolumab in combination versus recaparib monotherapy. Athena Mono and Athena Combo share a common treatment arm, arm B, but each comparison is independently powered. The primary endpoint is investigator-assessed progression-free survival. To continue, the manuscript called Adjuvant Treatment and Outcomes for Patients with Stage 3i Grade 1 Endometrioid Endometrial Cancer. In this retrospective course study, 1,120 patients with stage 3A C1 endometrial endometrial cancer were evaluated over a period of 12 years. The aim of this study was to determine associations between adjuvant therapy and survival. 22% of patients received no adjuvant treatment, 25% received chemotherapy alone, 18 radiation alone, and 34% chemoradiation. 5-year overall survival rate was 83%. Chemotherapy was associated with significantly improved overall survival compared with no adjuvant treatment, p.003. There were no differences in survival when comparing radiation alone versus no adjuvant treatment and chemoradiation versus chemotherapy alone. The final article in this podcast is the protocol for the ENDO3 trial by Obermeyer and colleagues. This phase 3 open-label randomized non-inferiority clinical trial aims to assess the effectiveness and safety of sentinel lymph node biopsies in the surgical staging of endometrial cancer. All patients with presumed early stage endometrial cancer included in the trial will receive laparoscopic or robotic hysterectomy and bilateral salpingo-oophorectomy and will be randomized into either sentinel lymph node dissection or no retroperitoneal lymph node dissection. For the first phase of this trial, 444 patients will be recruited to demonstrate feasibility and quality of life measured as return to daily activities at three months post-surgery via the EQ5D questionnaire. Following this, a second phase of the trial will enroll a further 316 patients and compare disease-free survival at 4.5 years between the two groups. A total of 760 patients are planned for enrolment, which began in January 2021 and is expected to end in December 2024. 
That concludes the Fellows' Choice podcast for the December 2021 edition of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. It is also the last episode from the current bunch of IJGC Fellows. And on behalf of all of us, thanks for tuning in. We wish the 2022 IJGC Fellows the best of luck.